When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Hey guys, this is Ian Happ from the Chicago Cubs. I'm excited to announce that my show, The Compound, is now part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Join me and my teammates, Dakota Meckis and Zach Short. This week, we welcome Cubs first baseman, World Series champion, Anthony Rizzo to The Compound. Check it out. Subscribe. The Compound on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 198 of the Barcelona Podcast, home to the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. Brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network and sponsored betonline.ag. Hit that subscription button to be first to listen to the hottest takes on the biggest stories coming out of the Camp No. I'm Dan Hilton, and I am again joined by Frances Tomas, Barca columnist featured on ESPN, Barca Blog, and many others. Frances, we finally have football to talk about again. Hola, Gules. Yes. Uh, so I want to start talking about the signing of Neymar. Um, he's going, oh, sorry, no, we got football. Right, let's do that. Let's talk about football. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah, football over Neymar stories every single day of the week, particularly on this Monday. Well, today we have got an edition of La Ronda talking Mallorca, Barca's youngsters, and Martin Braithwaite and Antoine Griezmann as Barcelona have two matches this upcoming week, Leganes tomorrow or Tuesday and Sevilla on Friday. And I would just say to all the listeners, don't worry if Barca have already played against Leganes. We're talking some bigger ideas in this show that aren't really truly affected by just one match with Leganes. And I also want to say some other housekeeping. Speaking of bigger ideas, I once again want to remind everybody to check out the links down in the description to support Black Lives Matter and the change that we want to see in the world. And the final piece of housekeeping is that you might have heard at the start of this show, this is 198. We have two episodes left to 200, and as of episode 200, we also have something rolling out on BarcelBlog.com that's going to be really cool to see. Almost a retrospective look back at all of what we've done in 200 episodes and over three years of time. Can you believe it, Frances? I have been in your life not only for the three years of the podcast, but for more than that, and yet here we are just breaking it down, 90 minutes, Barca against Mallorca. Uh, it is brilliant. Uh, we still haven't hit the 200, uh, but once we do, it's going to be a fantastic landmark um, and I cannot wait to do another 200 after that so this is Barca is our life I, you know was born with it basically and I'm just happy that we can contribute in a way that allows us to voice our opinions and there's so many people thousands of people around the world um, enjoying what we do and say so yeah very excited to continue yeah and as much as you say living Barcelona 
For those who don't really stick around to the end of the show, you might not know, but the YouTube channel, the Barcelona Podcast, I did an in-depth review, and I mean an in-depth review. I was living Barcelona in that match against Mallorca on Saturday. So there is a player grades, the whole thing, the whole nine yards in a review of that Mallorca match. So even maybe before you listen to the pod, jump over to YouTube, give that a watch, and come back here as we get Frances's take as well. So without much further ado, though, let's start with some questions pertaining to Barcelona's 4-0 thrashing of Mallorca at San Mois. So on the road where Barca haven't been too great this year and at home where Mallorca have been pretty good this year, seemed like it didn't really matter. And we don't have any listener questions, Frances, about the atmosphere at Mallorca, but I do want to just get your thoughts quickly about what you thought of the virtual fans and how you think that I think home field advantage isn't really going to matter here. No, um, I think that we predicted it well, to be honest. So we were talking about it last week. Um, I think that the bigger clubs in Spain, obviously Madrid, Barca, arguably Atletico, Valencia, maybe, uh, they're going to have an advantage. You know, when you go and play against Eibar or Mallorca or, you know, I, I do want to include them in this Espanol away from home. That, that's, that's difficult because obviously you are hated by them and they don't want to be relegated. So they push and push and push. Obviously influence the referee's decision, but also influence their players' stamina and, and the, the willingness to win. Um, so we didn't have that. And Barca had a fairly placid game in Mallorca. Um, watching it from TV was a little bit weird. Um, I kept looking at the stands, especially at the beginning when they had that enormous banner with like with those huge banners that said "Safe Football, Safe Tourism," which doesn't really make any sense. But you know, I don't want to get political in the show again. Um, but it was quite distracting, and uh, I kept looking at the fans because you know they're not fans; they're just flat squares. It was a bit weird. And when the when the camera angle changed, then you realize there was no one there. But beyond that, I'm, I'm happy that Barca had plenty to show on the pitch and that we can talk about that instead. Yeah, for me, I wasn't really distracted by the fans too much. And I think pumping in the noise, I, again, don't really have any problem with it. It seems like if it bothers the players or the players like it, I guess that's what matters much more than me at home. I mean, again, I don't care too much about what's happening there. Dan, I, I like the sound. Forgot to mention that. The sound was good. Um, it was a little bit like playing FIFA, to be honest. But um, I thought it worked well. I thought it worked well. And it came on pretty quickly after the goals as well. So I enjoyed that bit. Yeah, I agree with that. And other than in uh, Real Madrid against Abar when Casemiro probably should have been sent off, I think for all of I've watched of the Bundesliga so far, I've seen at least 10 matches in Germany. And then I watched a ton, whether it was Sevilla, Real Betis on Thursday or Barcelona. I've been watching a ton of different matches for La Liga. And I think these officials, maybe the crowd really does have more of an impact than, than we thought. Or maybe the players are taking a slower time getting back to it. But I think the officials have done a tremendous job. I have not seen a single match where I've thought, wow, the ref was the one that decided that match more than the players on the field. So I'm not sure if not having fans in the stands is actually affecting the focus and the ability that these officials have of actually watching what's right in front of them and officiating on in a match in reasonable ways. So I've actually been really surprised. With that thing, the the key option is going to be making sure that we finally, if we can, get Florentino away from the VAR offices. That's going to really help Basta's case here. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how much the pandemic has affected his uh, his ability to get in that VAR office or not, uh, <laughs> as long as he washes the, the, door, the door handle. But all right, let's get into our questions here. Damjan asks, can we win the league if we play like they played against Mallorca? Was this one of the best Frankie de Young performances this season? And he's also going to ask about Griezmann, but I'm going to put a pin in that. No Griezmann talk here, Frances. Let's just talk about Frankie de Young's performance and how well Barca played against Mallorca. I guess I'll start here by saying I was really impressed by De Jong. I, I think this was one of those matches that I would pause it, I'd go back, and I was using the recording later on for a little bit of a second viewing. And De Jong's positioning, particularly his movement in regards to Braithwaite and Messi and Griezmann, was awesome. I mean, really awesome. And sure, you could try to say, oh, but Mallorca's a relegation team and what happens when they face tougher opponents. But Mallorca had a, uh, and Vicente Moreno, credit to him, he did find a way, and I talked about this extensively in that YouTube video, that 
it seems like Kike Setien and Barcelona, whether or not they care that Juan Sastre, who is the left back for Mallorca, whether or not they care that he's normally a right back who had only ever played left back once and he was probably their weakest link. And indeed, that's what he was tactically on the field. They kept overloading that right side with Sergi Roberto and Arturo Vidal. And they had so much of that attack go down that way because they also, with Messi shading to the right and then coming into the center, you always basically have to have two guys, one to keep him keep with him on the right side when he decides to play on the right wing, but then you also have to almost hand him off. And it's an impossible job. And I think De Young really capitalized on that because when the ball was on the left side, he consistently was the outlet on the left side for Araujo or for Alba or for PK, and then his ability to continue to move the ball laterally in really healthy ways. And there are so many times when you see Barca, I mean, we call them wasted passes that are just on a horizontal plane, but there was so much movement and so much forward thinking to De Young's passing, getting it to the right side of the field, finding those spaces and exploiting them. And then on two of the goals in particular, De Young keeping the one alive for the Braithwaite goal, the header in, and then on that first goal, he got the tackle, kept the ball in, and was got, got it out to Jordi Alba for the cross into Arturo Vidal. So that's how the first two goals are scored, not in that order. And De Young was really important to both of those. But as I said, just from minute to minute, even defensively, his double teaming of Kubo, I guess, slowed the youngster down just a bit. We're going to talk about Kubo later, so nothing on him either. But yeah, I was really impressed with De Young. I can't say it's one of his best performances, just because I guess, again, Mallorca, especially in that second half, they kind of waved the white flag. You could see that it was over. But I thought his movement and intelligence was surprising in the first match back. I agree. I'm not going to repeat what you said. I agree 100% with every single point you've made. I think what I really want to reinforce is the fact that he was key in both of the of the goals. He was much more proactive defensively than I've seen him before. He felt freer. He was really fresh. Um, he basically was everywhere. And I think that he was influential in Barca's midfield. Um, going back to our listener's question as to whether Barca can win La Liga playing like this. Well, yeah, of course. I, I want to take it with a pinch of salt, though. We are playing Mallorca, which is a team that is, you know, deeply and arguably deservedly as well involved in the relegation battle. But I think Barca's first showing up after three months, basically, stuck at home was was decent. Um, We still have two points advantage. As I said last week, I think Madrid are going to win all of the matches. So as long as we win ours, uh, which I think we're capable of doing, especially given our first 11, given the fact that we've got five subs now that we can use and and Kike Satien was using, that was also very positive. Beyond those, we've got two or three players, uh, Ricky Puig and and Ansu Fati, especially, that didn't play but could have played as well. I'm very, very pleased with the first showing. Obviously, nothing, nothing is perfect. Things have to improve. I'm sure we're going to talk about it in the rest of the of the show. Some players do need to improve, but overall, it was it was great to see that Barca were switched on from from game one. Yeah, Enrique continues to ask about tactics here. Did we all notice Der Stegen playing way off his line? He was basically in a center back position at times, receiving and making passes. One mistake, though, he says, and we'll pay for it. And Francesca, I didn't really speak about. Ter Stegen's positioning too much in a tactical breakdown because I really I wasn't surprised to see him that far ahead. I, I think under Kike Setien, you knew that Ter Stegen's passing was going to be key to the way that they want to build up. And I think that his long passing wasn't, I mean, it wasn't locked in, but my hope is that he'll continue to find ways to improve his long passing as he kind of gets more used to it uh, after this layoff. But I don't know. I, I trust in Ter Stegen as much as I think one mistake is possible for a counterattacking team like a, a Bayern or Real Madrid. Sure. But, uh, you know, I'm not too worried about Ter Stegen. No, 100 percent. I think Ter Stegen is the ideal keeper for Barca. I think that every single season he's been with us and he's been with us a while. He's continued to grow. Uh, he's one of the top five goalkeepers in the world without any shadow of a doubt. And I think that there were zero concerns given his performance at Mallorca. And I expect him to continue to grow, uh, continue to understand what's the DNA specs of him. And you just need to give him more matches and have more growth. Yeah, I'm not, again, about this point about him being off his line as well. I trust that he understands that spacing rather well. And the only times he really is coming truly that far off his line is when he's receiving the ball to knock it ahead to one of the wings. And for somebody to be able to control the ball, him miss hit it so much that it goes right to the feet of an opponent and then the opponent to have the ability to chip him from that distance. I think 
I, I would say that it would be one of the best goals that we'd seen, maybe the goal of the season, if that situation were to happen. So I guess hats off to them, and hopefully Barca wins that match 2-1, if, that, if that's what happens there. So Steven has another question about Vidal this time. Did anyone see the video with Arturo Vidal going 10 kilometers in 45 minutes, or at that point, 38 minutes? No wonder he starts based on his fitness and ability to chase the ball and cause chaos. He also scored the first goal with his head, obviously. Is Arturo Vidal the best tactical fit for that midfield? I say yes, Frances. I'd say no. I'd say he's the worst fit for any sort of organized system, which is precisely why he plays. You know, he's had Paulinho, obviously an improved version of Paulinho, but he's the one that balances. When Rakitic plays, when Artur plays, you sort of know what they're going to do. Uh, Busquets and De Jong, to another degree as well, are similar. But with that, you never really know what he's going to do because he's so generous with his effort. He's so powerful. He's so aggressive. And he... You don't want to play against him, basically. You don't want to be defended by him, and you certainly don't want to be the one chasing him around, uh, which was obviously shown, and it was very early in the game, but in his first goal. I mean, do you imagine Rakitic doing that? Do you imagine uh, Artur doing that? Not in a million years. And I think that he has that extra, that, that unpredictability, and as our listener said, that chaotic dynamism that, that unbalances things. And I can really see why Valverde is choosing him against the others, to be honest. Well, let's hit an ad break, because I, th- I think I might disagree a bit. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners, betonline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and BetOnline is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. Looking for something other than sports? BetOnline has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. All right, back from that ad break, Frances. During that minute-long break, I was really considering, I guess, the presentation of Vidal, that we had this idea that he is just chaos on the field. But again, when watching the game from a tactical perspective, I actually thought Vidal was extremely disciplined against Mallorca. Almost a complete opposite. I don't think he was... He was living in chaos. There were times where he was hugging the right sideline, but that was merely to space them out and to find space for Sergio Roberto when Barca would look to switch the ball or as Messi started in the middle would come over. And he did, I think, with a, a lot of, we'll say, tactical awareness, keep about 15 to 20 yards between he and Messi and consistently found himself on the field as an outlet to somebody. Either it was De Young or Busquets for, forward or it was Messi behind or it was Roberto for an overlap and I think his positioning was superb in that that match and again when we talk about the chaos unless you just mean that he is a battering ram that enters into that penalty box in a way that making that midfield forward run that as we talk about Paulinho had done and Vidal does and other than that you're right I, I think everyone's right in saying that Rakitic, De Jong, Busquets, anybody else even when Alenia was around no one else in Barca's midfield makes those runs into the box in the way that he did. And I think just his timing on the first goal as well, where Messi and Griezmann, or sorry, not Messi, but Griezmann makes a, I don't even think he has time to make a near post run before Alba's already crossing the ball in. He takes about two steps, takes one center back with him, and then Mark Pedrasa, one of the two defensive midfielders from Mallorca, calls it out, but it's too late to calling it out. And then poor Sastre is just outmanned by Vidal. So again, I think instead of saying chaos, I think he's, and he's empowered, he's strong, and his tactical positioning was not as helter-skelter as you might think it is. Now, the ideas he has with the ball at his feet, that is where I give some and that I agree that there's some chaos there that Vidal's job, unlike an Artur who can play make, unlike a Rakitic who we expect to play make, but Vidal isn't really going to make the final play or he's not going to usually deliver the final ball for Messi. But again, the space and attention is required of the opposition for when he's in the box or making a late run into the box or stretching the field. There always has to be one eye on Vidal. And that's why I think he actually is a perfect complement to De Jong and Busquets, who, as we know, are all about order and all about keeping a, a system and a flow and getting Barca to playing their best football. When Vidal really is the other element there that I think complements them by not adding too much to the flow but I also don't think he disrupts it as much as we're saying he does. Yeah, well, yes, I agree with what you're saying because we're saying the same thing, but with different words. Um, I do agree that obviously he's tactically aware to a degree, 
Um, he wouldn't have been winning, you know, in the last eight years, eight ligas that he has done all over the place, Germany, etc. He's an international player at his age. I think he's hitting 32 or 33 right now. Um, he's still wanted by major clubs in Europe. So the guy obviously is tactically aware. He knows what he's doing. But what I'm saying is that he is a different player. I don't think he could be the leader of the Massa midfield. That's obviously Busquets and hopefully in time De Jong. And in the moment of transition, we are hopefully both. But to be the third wheel, to be the third unexpected, he certainly can do that. I mean... You mentioned the passing, of course. He's not going to have 99% accuracy because that's not what he's there for. I mean, that's what Busquets is there for. And arguably, Piquet is, is there for the same reason. But you give and take. You know, if he takes risks, he's going to be dispossessed more often. Um, if he passes his, the ball to sort of towards his left or his right or to the back, he's never really going to have a problem. But I think that the impact that Vidal can bring is much greater than what Rakitic and Artur um, have done. And that's why I think Setien was right to start him. Yeah, and speaking of starting, let's talk a little bit about Braithwaite and Griezmann. George asked, for Barcelona, Braithwaite is better than Griezmann, convince me otherwise. And Matias asked, do you think that Braithwaite should stay at Barcelona when he really shows a fighting spirit and good fitness, or should we try to sell him on for a higher price than we gave? And Frances, I have the argument that Griezmann is getting a bad rap, but I want to hear what you think about Braithwaite first. Okay, so if you want me to start with Braithwaite, I think he's what Barca needed. Um, he came at the right time, and he was basically the unexpected sign-in that no one wanted, because we would have preferred for, obviously, Suarez to be fit and Dembele to be fit, and Braithwaite would never come. But given the situation, I think he's outperforming what most expected of him. Um, I think that his willingness, his, his attitude... His fitness is something that the dressing room needed. Um, he's fresh. He's hungry. He's not a multimillionaire, obviously, by footballer standards. And he's not someone who's won everything internationally. He hasn't played for, I don't know, the Manchester United, the Chelsea's. Um, he hasn't. He's, this, is, this is like a like a worker, you know, someone who comes out and leaves everything he's got on the pitch. And to be honest, he, he already is a fan favorite. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, we're not going to be able to hear the Cam No chanting his name anytime soon. Maybe, you know, the guy in charge of the sound can work something out. But he's what Barca needed. And I think that the contract with Braithwaite and Griezmann at this moment in time is that Braithwaite gets what his role is. He is a backup forward that needs to unbalance the game. Similarly to what Larson used to do, similarly to what Pedro to an extent used to do. Just add something a little bit different. And I think that in contrast, you've got Griezmann who, you know, I don't want to be too disrespectful, but for 120 million euros, which is in the top three of the most expensive players in Barca history, I would expect a little bit more than someone who works very hard defensively. Um, he wasn't signed for that sort of money to pull in a shift. But being a perfect complement for Messi and Suarez up front and adding much more than he has been showing. And to be honest, it is disappointing because during the break he was talking, just giving interviews, you know, with his beautiful hair and just talking about, you know, I'm mentally in the right space and physically in the right space. I can't wait for everything to, you know, get back to normal and, and go out and, and basically eat the world with my bare hands and like that. And it just didn't happen. And it was disappointing. And the fact that Braithwaite, who was signed for basically two and a half euros, outperformed it like that is, is not great. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I think I want to push back, not necessarily on your points, because I think you're right about Braithwaite. I think Braithwaite, for what he's providing Barcelona, is what's to be expected of him. Again, I think his goal was the, exactly the kind of goal that he would score at Leganes or one of those other places where he finds that space for his second goal, as we talked about, because Griezmann and Messi and De Jong had all pushed, and Alba was out there as well, where there was just so much attention on one side of the penalty box in Reina's area that Braithwaite was kind of left to just wander into the middle of the field. And when that ball fortuitously bounces to him, not hitting Messi's hand, then he finishes with strength and puts it in the top upper 90 for his first parts of goal. And as you said, yeah, Braithwaite is going to work hard. He's going to fight tactically. He's going to help on double teams, bring the extra help for a second man on the wings. But I think for Griezmann, I, I want to think about what instructions he's given and I connect this to Messi in the idea that there is so much pressure on Griezmann, obviously, to score and get assists. And as we talked about, I think it was either last week or two weeks ago, when you mentioned that if he finishes at, at what he's at now, if he finishes with five or six more goals in these last 10 La Liga matches, that's not even a, a, a bad output for any Barcelona forward. 
But all that said about Griezmann, against Mallorca, Kike Setien was able to put forth some of his ideas. And because Barca were dominating the match in the way that they were, you were able to tactically see what Kike Setien is going for. And I think what he's going to be going for, even for the better teams, where there was at times when Griezmann was positioned himself almost as a false nine with Messi or Roberto or Vidal on that one wing ahead of him on the right wing. And then on the left wing, it was Braithwaite or Alba who was farther ahead and he would drop in, not even to receive the ball, but just to bring attention to himself. We, we do see Suarez do this a bit as well, but Suarez always seems to call for the ball and require you to put the ball at his feet in a way that Griezmann just doesn't demand the ball in, in that same way, in that same position on the field. But all that said, as much as Braithwaite got a goal and Griezmann didn't in this game, that's not a disservice to Griezmann. His positioning was so important to the buildup of those goals as well as just, again, attracting attention. If you actually see the runs he's making offensively and his movement was with Messi, I, I think there was a difference that I saw at least. Again, Mallorca being the opponent was a big part of this. But I saw a difference between what we saw at times before the break when he didn't really know exactly where to be with Suarez and Messi. And the three of them together is a different problem that I think there is still some credence to Griezmann really finding his role there. However, just playing alongside Messi... I thought his positioning offensively was superb. His runs, his movement. Barca may be centered and dependent on Messi, but Messi was able to find the game because Griezmann was in the positions to help him succeed. And he doesn't get any credit for that because he's just making the run that gives 10 more yards of space to Messi. It's taking the pressure off Messi, even though Messi still has the ball at his feet. In the same way, defensively, I know you say he just puts in a shift. This is what Setien was doing. For the rare opportunities that Mallorca had possession of the ball, they were, that being Barca, dropping into a 4-5-1 with Griezmann being that farthest right wing and allowing Messi just to kind of be the outlet up in the center and save his legs. And that means that Griezmann, as far as distance he had to go on the field, would defend as that farthest wing in that 4-5-1 defensively, and then he would have to come out and take the place of that number nine, either a false nine or he would go forward and be a more traditional nine to try to receive the ball in his rare opportunities of hold-up play. So I just think what... Kike Setien is trying to do, Griezmann is actually paramount to that. And it does get a little muddier when Luis Suarez is going to be starting with he and Messi. So that is really the question for me. But if it's just Messi, Griezmann, and Braithwaite in that start, I had no issues whatsoever. And I think people were just saying, well, he didn't get the goal. I didn't see him get the goal. So he, he he's not doing much for me. I, again, I, I just think he did better than that. Yeah, but I think what we need to look back, and I agree with you, I agree with you, but we need to look back at his price tag. 120 million euros for someone to do what you just described is a lot of money. Um, I think that if you're paying that sort of money for a striker, someone who is a World Cup winner, someone who was pretty much everything at Atletico Madrid, you would expect much more than, than what he's given. Um, you would expect a constant threat. You would expect double the amount of goals as he's got and to be the key protagonist. Even having, you know, because we always go back to Messi and Messi is everything at Barca and Messi is central to Barca. I understand that. But he needs to be someone who the rivals see as a threat uh, when Neymar was here. And I know I keep going to Neymar, but when Neymar was here, Neymar had to be defended. Griezmann defends pretty much himself half the time. When Luis Suarez is out, he is someone who needs to have at least two defenders, because obviously if he's in the middle, you're going to have the free centre-back and the centre-back marking him, or you know having some positional uh, adjustment for, for Suarez. But Griezmann, with one player, you, you marked him. And I think that having Braithwaite being a, such a vertical threat, his pace, uh, being intelligent enough to, to make everyone around him better, his dynamism, playing simple football, being effective, um, being much more willing is what Barca needed. And I think Braithwaite has done enough to be kept. And I think Griezmann has not yet justified his price tag. Yeah, I don't think there's going to be a way for him to justify his price tag. And so I think that's what I'm arguing, that Barcelona won 4 nothing, and Griezmann have attracted two defenders on both of the first goals for both Vidal's run into the box, and then Braithwaite was left free. That comes because of Griezmann's ability to bring a defensive midfielder and a center back having to contend with him on those near post runs. So my argument is, Frances, that if Barca won 6 nothing and Griezmann had two goals, does he justify his price tag as opposed to Barcelona scoring and winning 4 nothing and Griezmann making two near post runs that brings a double team that frees up the two guys who's had the first two goals? I, I think that's the point, right? What's the difference? If, if other people are scoring those first two goals or Griezmann is finishing it himself, 
And, or, right, if he had the first two goals and Barca win 4 nothing, or Barca win 4 nothing, and Griezmann brought two defenders to free up teammates on the first two goals, I guess my point is, like, what's the difference? And I understand the price tag, but I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think there's a point. Yeah, well, we, I think we're going to have to agree to disagree. I think that the job that he did, that's, is not worth 120 million euros. Yeah, okay. I think, you know, Frances, I am proud of us. I, I think we, as we age, <laughs> 198 shows in, as we age, we get a little bit better at our arguments. And I think it's been a while. We were agreeing a lot when there was no football. Glad that football is back and you and I get to get into it again. Yeah, I would punch you through the microphone. And unfortunately, you're half a world away, so I can't do that. We're just going to have to be respectfully disagreeing. Yeah, I, I'm all about the little jabs. Uh, you got a little height on me, so dodge and move, dodge and move. That is that, that is my bread and butter. All right, speaking of none of that, no transitions here because we've got some Ronald Araujo to talk about. Pancho, Sean, and Frederick all have ideas related to this. Pancho, should this be the year that we find another club for MTT? We have Tadebo. Well, I don't know about that, but and Araujo had a solid match against Mallorca. Should we cash out on Big Sam while he's still worth something? Or do you think MTT still deserves a shot? Sean, if Araujo can play that well and develop as a left center back, can he be a backup to Lenglet? Then why are we trying to sell Tadebo who can develop as a right center back and be PK's backup or potential starter? And Frederick says, if Araujo can play like he did yesterday, should the club consider moving on from MTT? Frances, I'll let you go first on this one. Well, it's a tricky one. I think that, you know, and I know we've been waiting for this match for a long, long time. You know, it's been three months of nothing at home. But I don't think we can take too many conclusions after, after just 90 minutes, um, especially against Mallorca, who, you know, are not the greatest team in the world with the greatest respect. Um, so I think Araujo was good. I thought that he was reliable. I think that given his age and experience, he did fairly well. I don't think he was challenged that much, to be honest. Um, I don't think that most defenders from Barca V or even Barca Juvenil would have struggled too much more than he did. But that's not to take anything of his performance. I think he was he was decent. He was good. Um, he would be, to me, six out of seven, six out of ten, seven out of ten, something like that. Um, so the 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 the, the MTT issue. I don't think selling MTT makes sense because Piquet. And he has been healthy for a while, but he hasn't always been healthy in his career. I think Lenglet is clearly ahead of Umtiti at this moment in time, um, this year and last year being two clear examples. But I think that either one of those is missing. You want to have someone who is more experienced, more reliable, more trustworthy than um, any one of our Barca B players and Araujo or Todivo in this, in this instance. So I would give Umtiti basically because of that. But as a full centre-back, I'm happy with either Araujo or Todivo. I, it looks like Todibo is going to have much more money coming for his transfer, so I would keep Araujo as, as a fourth backup. And, and if it's not him, then uh, any of the ones coming up from Barca V, I, I think that that's going to be the key. Barca have for far too long signed average players, uh, basically because they come from somewhere else um, and not trusted their own. I think that players like Callado, Puch, um, obviously Pedri is coming up soon. They need to be trusted and they need to be that fourth, fifth option, depending on the position. And I think they can do a great job. Obviously, Ansu Fati um, needs to be mentioned as well. I think they're more than capable of doing that role and spending money as well. I don't think it makes sense. But um, if you've got two centre-backs in your formation that have to start, I think the third one needs to be of a higher calibre and MTT fits that bill for me. Yeah, it's no disservice to Araujo, if we remember the red card in his debut. And I think, as you had mentioned as well, Tadebo, Barca are going to be looking to, uh, with the market value for Tadebo, Barca, I think, are going to be looking at those dollar signs, of course. But all that said, or, or euro signs, but all that said for Araujo, you know, I, I think who he is, I've seen him a ton of times this year for, and I said this in a quick take match review, and I said this again in the review video, that he is who I've seen for Barcelona B, where he can be trusted in short-range, medium-range passing situations. And his long pass, actually, that opened up Suarez for the fourth goal should not be forgotten. He gets he gets the quote-unquote MLS assist or the hockey assist for Messi's goal that Messi still had a lot to do. But anyway, he freed up Suarez uh, to get upfield in a, in a pretty quick counterattack. So I can't say all of his long passing uh, wasn't too great, but I, I think he did struggle with long passing out to the wings when they when Mallorca were allowing him to dribble, which he does decently well. I don't think he does as well as Tadebo or even... Well, actually, PK doesn't do much of it, but I don't think that he dribbles as well as Umtiti when Umtiti is healthy. But all that said, uh, Araujo as well is good in the air. I think he's only 21, but... As far as his performance is down in the third division, he's just a rock at the back on one-on-one, -on -one, particularly in the air because he's such a physical presence. However, 
I do worry about him in terms of dealing with speedier wingers. We saw him do, he did struggle in one-on-one matchups when Kubo got him on the ground. So a few, we'll talk about Kubo in a second. But yeah, I think Araujo, he is 21. Yeah, so just to put in the pin on Araujo, I think to see that he's promoted and next year is expected to be the fourth center back, we don't know exactly who the third one is going to be, whether Tadebo, TT, or maybe Barca are going to find a way to bring in some other 34-year-old from around Spain as their third center back, who knows? But yeah, but I think Araujo for next season is showing himself that he can be trusted to be the fourth center back. And as I said, he's 21. So a lot of these players, and I guess it's a perfect time to start to bring this up. Vilmos asked, about Kubo. We'll get to that in a second. Pulkit also asked about Kubo, but Aniv asked, what is the status with Puj? As well as Antonio asking, what is the new substitution rules of five players? Would we need a deeper bench and giving more B team players a chance to move up for the first team or for the rest of the off or for the rest of the season? Would that be helpful? Pulkit also had added that does seeing Kubo play potentially affect Fati? who we know that they played together. Do you wonder, does this affect the mentality of players when you see a player who played with you? Fatih and Kubo had played together at La Masia uh, many, many years ago. And so a guy that you'd assume that they still have some kind of uh, relationship together. And does that affect him, him mentally? But I think going all the way back to the Rajo idea that Fatih is still young. He's still just 17. But Puj, Manchu, Kayado. Araujo, again, these are guys in their 20s now. They are not young, young kids. So it's at a point where you either have to trust them or you don't. And for Araujo, again, he's 21. He would be playing in most other sides, and yet he's playing for Barcelona in the third division. The same thing for Puj and Callado and all those other players, where for Barca B, maybe if they get more than 18, 19 years old, things start to get uncomfortable because they probably should be getting first division minutes. And I'm not saying a Barcelona. I'm saying they should be getting some kind of first division or even second division minutes. And you think about this year, Pedri for Las Palmas, right? He was 16 and turned 17 this season. And he was getting minutes in the second division while Puj and Callado and Manchu, who are three years and four years older, were playing in the third division, right? And I think there's just something where you fundamentally have to raise your eyebrow and you have to say, well, they're there so that they can be used as, and Antonio brought it up, that they're now getting on the bench because of the five substitutes rule. But what I'll say, I think unequivocally, and I think Fatih and and Kubo's decision to join Real Madrid and now playing for Mallorca, I don't think it affects Fatih much because Fatih, Puj, all the players I've mentioned, I think they understand that you look at the five subs who came on, right? And we talk about this a lot, about the starters and bench, Frances. Rakitic, Firpo, Semedo, Artur, and Luis Suarez. Those were the five who came off your bench. And those five players, coupled with the 11 starters, and I actually am substituting Lengle for Araujo in this example, those 16 players are the guys that are going to win the Liga this year. It's been a weird, haphazard season with the break and COVID and all of that different stuff. That, that is your squad. As much as you might think that Rakitic and Vidal might not have a place at the club or MTT, whoever it is in your big dreamy um, summer change that's not going to happen because of finances, for all of you think that there might be a change in the guard next year, the players that are on the team now, including Rakitic and Vidal and even Firpo, if, if he's potentially going to be, be leaving the club this summer, they're going to be the players that are going to play. They're the ones that are going to be trusted. Rakitic, it's, that's a, it, as unfortunate as it is, and you say, well, we need to build for the future. I think even myself, I have to wake up and say, Rakitic is going to play against Puj 99 out of 100 times. It's just what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, also, every bench player that came on is an international. And when you've got a player who is basically in the starting 11 for the nation, they must be really, really good. Um, I was hearing an interview from Kike Setien with Catalunya Radio last week uh, during, the, during the lockdown. And um, he made perfect sense of the situation that I think if you and I were managing Barca today, we would probably agree with. And is that he would only play a youngster if they are better than anyone else that he's got at his disposal. So if a first-teamer is better than a youngster, he's going to play the first-teamer, especially with 11 matches to go and the level of expectation. I mean, he's not managing, with all due respect, Lugo, 
like he's done before, or Racing Santander, like he's done before, or Betis. He's, he's at Barca, and at Barca, you know, we've got this podcast. I don't know if the Lugo podcast exists. <laughs> hopefully, um, hopefully it does in the future for the benefit of football. But what I'm trying to say is that the, the repercussions, the, the, the impact, the, the worldwide appeal of Barca somehow stops the manager from taking risky decisions. And with 11 matches to go, it, it does make perfect sense to play your, your best, as I keep saying, your best 16. And, and that's what he did. Is he going to be doing that every single game? I mean, we play again tomorrow and again in like four or five days. Probably not, probably not, especially if someone gets a knock. But you, I would probably have done the same. You need to get the best first-teamers as uh, adapted to the rhythm of competition as early as possible because you may need them further down the line. Um, our listener was asking about feelings from Ansu Fati seeing Kubo excelling. I would like to think that he would be happy for his friend. But obviously, when you think about it, his friend plays for Madrid. So <laughs> that must be a tricky situation for him. But on a personal level, I would have thought he's quite happy. As you explained, he understands or he has to understand what his role is. And um, then you can mention about the second division. I think the solution for, you know, Barca B to, to, to raise the bar is for them to get promoted in the mm-hmm. upcoming playoffs. And then we've got a second division team, not a segunda división B e.g. third division team that our youngsters can develop on and obviously the level of expectation would rise the, the level of challenge would rise and the quality of them will obviously be higher and then the jump between the second team Barca B to Barca A the, the first team would be smaller and that's what the club needs um, that playoff is much more important than people actually realize half the time yeah and I, I want to add and almost a final point here on this discussion that Rakitic again is currently at the club and I'm just using him in the example because it seems like even amongst the team Vidal and Archer are higher on the depth chart than Rakitic so Rakitic's wages though are still on the books right now so I think the argument to be made is that I think Puj could do a similar job than Rakitic next season when Rakitic's wages aren't on the books but if that kind of player is on your books and is sitting on the bench then he plays and then, but mm-hmm. next year, it's okay that you don't sign a replacement for Rakitic because Puj can fill that role, right? So Puj is available to play the role if he doesn't have, so you can save some money on Rakitic's wages next year. Now, I'm not saying Rakitic is even going to be leaving, but I just mean a player of his quality, whether it's Vidal or whoever it may be. I just think that there are younger players who can play those roles, but unlike what we saw at the beginning of the year when Barca were trying to get rid of him in January, that being Rakitic, I mean, if he's playing, he's or if he's he's available and he's on your books, then then he's going to play. You know? With that, Dan, I think Rakitic is going to basically exhaust his contract. He's going to play for Barca as long as he needs to play to leave for free. I think that if he was going to go to for a transfer fee to a major club, Juventus, he's had the chance. Several clubs from from um, Italy, he's had the chance to go. He's had offers from the Premier League as well, especially last year. And he hasn't chosen to do that. I think that he wants to go to Sevilla for free. And he's just forcing his hand. He's uh, going on the media and saying, you know, I'm not a sack of potatoes, etc. Just for, for the board to say, you know what, we pay you quite a high wage. We don't want to pay you the wage anymore. And then he would say, right, let me go for free. Um, when I know we're rewinding a lot. I'm probably going on a tangent here. But when Iniesta went, I know it's different, but Iniesta went for free, Xavi went for free, and I think Rakitic wants the same. And I think that, unfortunately, for, for our finances, I don't think there's going to be any money coming for Rakitic unless Sevilla go nuts this summer and want to sign him beforehand. But otherwise, I think he stays until the very last day of his contract and goes to Sevilla getting the transfer fee bonus directly into his pocket. Yeah, and that said, uh, Vilmos, he asked how we feel about Kubo, and I'm not speaking for Frances, but I will. Kubo's... Uh, not somebody that Francesca is going to talk about. He was for Barcelona. And then obviously it's unfortunate what happened to him uh, with the transfer ban. But now that he signed for Real Madrid, uh, Francesca is going to talk about him and he, he doesn't care about him. That's it for, <laughs> for me in terms of what I think of Kubo. I think he's a really talented player. I'm sad to see that he is a, you know, a Real Madrid player in the future. Just that I don't like that Real Madrid have talent. So not even speaking individually about Kubo. Yeah, so it's a difficult decision he made. And as much as it's almost a knock on Barca, I think on the other side of things, if Barca had, if he'd re-signed for Barcelona, where would he be? Well, I don't think he'd be playing over the guys who are on the field. Maybe he would have played over Fati, and then you wind up not getting Fati in the first team this year. He would have taken his spot on, on the field, or he would have got loaned out, maybe. But I don't know, because he may, might have had to wait just like Alenia until January. So I think some of the decisions these players are making, yeah, I, I think he made the wrong decision to choose Real Madrid, sure. 
But I, I think he's just another one of those examples where I go, well, I wonder how Barca would have handled him. And the sliding door here is that Fati may not get a chance. So if you make one pick between Fati and Kubo, well, then the decision is going to be Fati. So as talented as Kubo is, I actually don't know where that position is for Barcelona, as Albert actually asked a question similar to this, some say this position is uh, is sort of extinct, but wouldn't we benefit from signing a traditional number 10? And I think Kubo kind of does fit that, that kind of those characteristics, since most of our current midfielders seem to lack creativity and tend to rotate the ball uh, laterally. Rakitic, Vidal, Digang, Busquets, Artur, Alenia all seem to operate too far from the opposition box, and we've lacked that creative factor ever since Iniesta's departure. And for me, Francis, with Messi in the team, I don't think Barca has room for a number 10. And even then, when you think of Juan Ramon Raquelme, who really truly was the last number 10, that position just doesn't fit in Barcelona's setup. And I think really what we're more looking for is a younger version of Paulinho or Vidal, a younger version of a guy who's going to be a little bit of an outlet as a farther forward forward, but not really even as an attacking midfielder, just as a guy who can cause some havoc in the box with some late runs. Yeah, I think that the number 10 that Barca have is is Messi. I think that he basically, because of his influence, he doesn't allow someone else to run into those spaces. Um, I mean, we're going back to the beginning here. You can see with Griezmann, for example, he's trying to work out where he actually fits. We saw it with Coutinho. He was trying to work out where he actually fitted. And uh, you can even see it with, uh, to an extent with the young and Vidal. They're just trying to occupy all the, all the spaces that Messi just doesn't run into. Um, I do see Messi, as years go by, um, dropping back a little bit more, being more influential. I mean, in Mallorca, you saw him getting the ball from Gerard Piquet. I, I counted at least five, six times. It's very hard to to have someone on a set, sort of given specific position on the pitch when Messi goes wherever he wants. But obviously, we wouldn't change Messi for the world. So until Messi is no longer with us, I don't think there's a need for a 10, another 10, no. Yeah, and, and Don had a question about Messi and battling for not really the Ballon d'Or, but the golden shoe with Lewandowski of Bayern Munich and a bunch of other players. But Don, we're going to put a pin in that. Let's see how many goals Messi scores between Tuesday and Friday. We don't really talk too much about individual awards mattering. But yeah, we'll talk about Messi's goal scoring and potentially any individual awards. We'll see what he does in these two matches this week. Because we're going to end this show by getting a question from Charlie Barca, our good friend Charlie. How much rotation are we expecting for the next two games, that being Leganes, and if you if you know if that's already happened by the time you listen to this, and Sevilla, will this include Messi? Will Messi be rotated, Frances? No, <laughs> no, Messi won't be rotated uh, because he doesn't want to be rotated. Uh, Messi is capable of resting while he's playing, um, and also you know if he needs to you know miss the next training session the next day he will. Messi, I think, and we've seen it for the last ten years really. He is better when he's playing and he's more motivated and he's able to take those rests. Because if you think about it, Messi's game, and I know pretty much most of our listeners know this, is not about constancy. It's not about going and fighting for every single ball. He picks his pockets. He, he does his rest. He does his walking around. But when he goes, he's explosive. So I think that whether you keep him 70 minutes or 90 makes very little difference. I think that what Messi brings to the team in terms of attracting attention and, and making your opponent be on the tiptoes and, and watching over the shoulders the whole time. I mean, you could bring anybody from the bench and he wouldn't be a quarter of what Messi does bring. So I think that having Messi just a presence and with the hope that he can sprint a couple of times in the last, say, 10, 15 minutes is more than any stab will ever give you. And uh, I think, you know, starting to sub him may start all of this, oh, is he injured or is he... Is he going to be missing games in the future, etc.? So I think keeping him on is, is perfect as long as he wants to do that, which I understand is what he will want to do. What I want to hear is when Gerard Piquet has hung up his boots at Barcelona, within a week, you know he's going to come out with a million interviews about what it was really like playing for Barcelona. And I want to hear which players during this era, and that being the Luis Enrique era to the end of his tenure, and then into the Valverde era and Kike Setien. I want to hear which players had the autonomy and the authority to call the shots and to which shots they called. And I think PK is going to let us know that within 24 hours of not playing for Barcelona anymore. I want to hear how much autonomy Messi had as to which matches he started, when he chose to rest, when he chose to get subbed. I wonder if this is actually his decision or if this is conversations with Setien or, or Valverde even at the time. So, yeah, I, I just, I wonder. I wonder how much managing Kike Setien is actually doing. I think... Tactically, you're seeing his imprint on the game, 
But when it comes to the players who are playing in the rotation, I think it might be a lot of equals where Kike Setien is talking to Messi and Luis Suarez as equals, and they're kind of putting it together and deciding. And then they, as a group, call over Ansu Fadi and say, hey, kid, this kind of what's going to happen with you. You're not going to be playing because X, Y, Z, and this is how this is going to go down. Or is it Kike Setien maybe making those decisions even and the players just accepting it, which is, the I think, the more far-fetched idea. Yeah, I would say right right now, with Setien having joined halfway through a season, I would have thought that he's had to do a lot of negotiating and a lot of understanding with the players themselves, with the captains, starting from, of course, uh, with the nutritionists, with the, the rest of the medical staff. And obviously, in Messi's case, he absolutely must have a, a tailor-made training regime in terms of stretching, in terms of exercising, that would enable him to play, without a doubt. Yeah, uh, yeah. as I said, I, I'm excited to see the way that Kike Setien is able to put his imprint on the game from a tactical approach. But as far as the man's management, I think Barca, they're a veteran squad. They do a lot of the man management themselves. So I want to thank, though, as far as the man management of this podcast, Frances, thanks again for joining me, being my main man here. And thanks to you, the listeners, for tuning in again. You can tap in your app, check out the show notes to subscribe to the show. You can find us on social media, too. We're on Twitter, at the Barcelona Pod, or at HiltonD13 for me. On Instagram, we're being a little more active at the Barcelona Pod. Closed Facebook group, where we got these questions from, is tbpod.link backslash group. Deeper dive and discussions. Patreon, quick take match reviews are back. About 15 to 25 minutes on every one. And you can also help us continue making these shows at tbpod.link backslash Patreon. We're also on YouTube. Not now, but we've been there now for the last year. The Barcelona Podcast. If you want me to do more visual match reviews, head over there, subscribe, like those videos, get your friends to like those videos, and I will make more of those. That is... For those who listen to this podcast, you know that I want to get more listeners to this pod. And the YouTube channel is a way to create more content and a different way, visual content. But it's another way to try to get the attention for this pod and bring people back here as listeners. So that's why we always say, share it with a friend, this pod. Let them know even about the YouTube channel. Check us out there. Hit that subscription button. But most importantly, for the listeners here, thank you so much for listening to the Barcelona podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Forza Barca. Forza. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.